This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. I appreciate you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. We have a great one for you, episode 263, entitled Isaiah's Messianic Cornerstone. We've been slowly working through the Hebrew Bible in order to better understand the passages that came to shape the early Jewish and early Christian understanding of the Messiah, his person, his role, his job responsibilities, and his relationship to the God of Israel. We're currently working through the prophet Isaiah, and we come across Isaiah chapter 28, which talks about the cornerstone, the stone that suggests belief from God's righteous people. So here are some questions I would like to explore in this week's episode. First, what were the earliest Jewish interpretations of this cornerstone, and how did they influence the early Christian readings of the passage? Second, what other passages were paired with Isaiah 28 by the New Testament authors in order to better understand its stone imagery? And lastly, how did it come to be that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was seen as the referent of the cornerstone in whom early Christians were to place their faith. Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the stone of hope in Isaiah. So our passage is in Isaiah chapter 28, and we're going to read verses 14 through 16 in order to give some context to this prophetic oracle. So starting in verse 14, Therefore, hear the word of Yahweh, O scoffers, who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. Because you have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have made a pact. The overwhelming scourge will not reach us when it passes by, we have made falsehood our refuge, and we have concealed ourselves with deception. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes will not be disturbed. That's Isaiah 28 verses 14 through 16. So let's go back and talk about these passages because there's some interesting wordplay that's going on here, and it's the notice of this wordplay, the puns, the double entendre, you might say, that contributed to the earliest interpretations of this particular passage. So first in verse 14, we have the referent of the oracle. Hear the word of the Lord, O scoffers, which in Hebrew is actually men of scoff. Now what's interesting here is that the men of scoff are paralleled 
with those who are in Jerusalem. And the word scoff is lazon. So we have the men of lazon. And many scholars actually think that this is an intentional pun on the men of Zion. So you have the men of Lazon punning the men of Zion. And since the parallel, of course, is those who are in Jerusalem, which is a natural way of interpreting Zion, this seems to be the case here. So these people who are the rulers in Jerusalem and Zion are actually understood by the prophet as the men of Scoff. That's not the only pun and double entendre that we actually have in the passage. So we can see the declaration that they have made a covenant with death. They've made a covenant with Sheol, that is their pact. This is unlikely to be something that they are saying. This seems to be something that Isaiah is saying in their rebuke. Now what's interesting to note is that these Jerusalem leaders have made an alliance, very likely with Egypt. And Egypt has a very famous goddess at this particular time. This is during the Nubian era of pharaohs during the 25th dynasty. And there was a prominent goddess associated with the netherworld in Egypt called Mut. M-U-T. And that seems to be a pun on the word for death, the Hebrew word mot. So you have death mot with which these rulers in Jerusalem have made a covenant, but it seems that they have made a covenant with the Egyptian goddess Mut. So that's another interesting point that if we set this oracle in its context and we understand the poetry that Isaiah is using and we see the ways that his prophecy is interacting with his dialogue partners, we can see some very interesting points of the particular passage. So clearly the leaders in Zion have done something that Isaiah disagrees with, and not just Isaiah, but of course the God who is using Isaiah as his mouthpiece. And so the Lord God responds in verse 16, saying that during these turbulent times that God is going to set forth in Zion something that is firm, it is a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone. It'll be in Zion. It will be a foundation firmly placed in Jerusalem. Now, my English translation, the New American Standard, actually puts an object after the verb to believe. It says, he who believes in it will not be disturbed. Now, it puts the object in it, he who believes in it, in italics indicating this not there in the Hebrew, but it seems to indicate that God is calling for belief. He is calling for faithfulness in light of this time, not for compromising by making an alliance with Egypt, with the 25th Nubian dynasty. So in verse 16, there is an interesting pun that significantly affected the interpretation of this passage by both early Jews and by early Christians. And the main part of this passage is the word for stone, which in Hebrew is the word eben, and stone is a very famous messianic pun 
used with the word for son, the Hebrew noun ben. So you have eben and ben going from stone to son, and this was used in a lot of early Jewish and early Christian interpretations. And that's going to be important as we continue to look through the interpreters of this passage. Now we should also note the way in which the Septuagint understood this particular passage because the Septuagint interpreter who read the Hebrew and translated it into Greek indicates his own interpretation because all translation requires interpretation. So there's a particular word that we're going to see again in the New Testament which indicates that they are deliberately drawing on this particular passage. So the noun in Greek that is translated into cornerstone is acrogonion. Acrogonion. And in the Septuagint, the Septuagint translator actually places an object after the verb to believe. Remember, the Hebrew does not have a verb. It just says, he who believes will not be disturbed. But the Septuagint translator actually places an object. He who believes upon it. Or it could be translated, he who believes upon him. The way that the Greek works there with the preposition epi followed by the dative, the dative pronoun ofto is grammatically ambiguous. It could be masculine or it could be neuter. Now, if it is referring back to the word for stone in Greek, which is grammatically masculine, then it, of course, would refer to a masculine pronoun. That seems to be the most likely interpretation. And this will be important because when Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 9, Paul is quoting from the Septuagint, and the way it's translated by the New Testament translator is going to bear on whether we understand that word, the object of belief, as something that is grammatically masculine or something that is grammatically neuter. But that's, of course, part of the early interpretation. So we've talked about how the Septuagint translator interpreted it, which is one early Jewish interpretation. Here's another early Jewish interpretation, and that is from the Isaiah Targum written by Jonathan. The Targum Jonathan offers this particular paraphrase of Isaiah 28, verse 16. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am appointing in Zion a king who will be strong, mighty, and awesome. And the righteous ones who believe in these things will not be disturbed. So that is another early Jewish interpretation, which is clearly a messianic interpretation. It is an unambiguous messianic interpretation. So instead of God laying in Zion a stone, as we see in the Hebrew, Targum Jonathan has God appointing in Zion a king. And thereby the king is the interpretation of the stone. And since the king in Israelite messianism is the son of God, we can see how that reading came about. Because as I mentioned, the Hebrew noun for stone is eben, and that is punned with the word son, the Hebrew noun ben. And so the son of God is the king, 
and that is almost certainly how this reading came about. Also, we can see in Targum Jonathan that an object is placed after the verb to believe. So while the Hebrew just simply says, he who believes, without an object, Targum Jonathan says that it is the righteous ones who believe in these things, namely, in the fact that God is going to appoint a king, someone distinguished from the Lord God, who is strong, mighty, and awesome. So there are two early Jewish interpretations of this particular passage, both of which supply an object to belief, because the Hebrew by itself, we're not actually sure what is meant by belief, he who believes. Are they just believing in general? Are they believing in God? Are they trusting in the promises made by Isaiah? We're not exactly sure. Isaiah is not very clear. And as you know, when things are unclear, it leads interpreters of Scripture to speculate, sometimes for good reason. So those are two interpretations of Isaiah 28, verse 16, from a Jewish perspective. Let's look at how the early Christians interpreted this passage. And luckily for us, this passage gets quoted in the New Testament on three separate occasions by three different authors. Let's begin by looking at that. Point number two is Paul's use of the Isianic stone. So Paul quotes this passage in Romans chapter 9. And we can't go through all the details of Romans chapter 9, but we can get a sense as to what is actually taking place in Paul's mind and why Paul is going to cite this passage for his argument. So in Romans 9, starting in verse 30, Paul says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, attained righteousness, namely the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, and Paul is going to combine two quotes from Isaiah here, one from Isaiah 28 and one from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 15. So Paul says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's Isaiah 8. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. That's Isaiah 28. Quite clearly there, Paul is going to move into chapter 10 and make Jesus the object of the faith. Jesus and his gospel, that's going to be the object of belief here. So when he is citing the Septuagint, which says, he who believes ep to, Paul is reading that preposition, of course, as masculine. Of course, in doing so, Paul interprets the stone as the Son, as Jesus, thereby indicating Paul's persuasion of the Jewish interpretation involving the stone being the messianic son. So this is one of the early Christian interpretations of this particular passage. It is remarkably like the Jewish interpretation that we see in Targum Jonathan, namely seeing it as a messianic interpretation for the king, 
But of course, the early Christians have a particular messianic king in mind, and that, of course, is Jesus the king, Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that Paul does is that Paul is able to combine this passage, Isaiah 28, with another passage, Isaiah chapter 8, which talks about a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and Paul connects that passage, of course, uh, with Isaiah 28. He pairs it together, and that's going to be very interesting. We're going to see how early Christians are going to pair Isaiah 28 and its messianic understanding with passages like Isaiah chapter 8 and also with Psalm 118. So that's the first Christian author that talks about Isaiah 28 and interprets it in a messianic way. Let's look at the next passage. This is the use of the Isianic stone in Ephesians. This is our third point. So the author of Ephesians says in chapter 2, starting in verse 19, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's an important point. He is the cornerstone. In whom the entire building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So quite clearly here, the body of Christ is understood as the new temple, but at the center of this temple is a particular cornerstone. And the Greek word for this cornerstone is exactly what we saw in Isaiah 28, verse 16 in the Septuagint, the noun acrogonion, indicating that Ephesians 2 is drawing on Isaiah 28, verse 16, in order to say that Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the stone. The human being Jesus, the Son of God, is the interpretation of the stone that Isaiah 28 actually talks about. Now, Ephesians 2 doesn't do anything with the rest of Isaiah 28, verse 16, involving the belief aspect. It simply interprets the stone in terms of the Son, and the Son of God, Christ Jesus himself. So that's the second Christian interpretation that we have, according to the New Testament. The third interpretation comes from 1 Peter. We have the Apostle Peter there. So that is point number four, 1 Peter's use of the Isianic stone. 1 Peter, as we're going to see, is going to combine Isaiah 28 with another passage about a stone, and that is from Psalm 118, verse 22. Let's read the passage from 1 Peter. This is in chapter 2, starting in verse 4. And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not 
be disappointed. That's 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 6. So clearly here, Peter is drawing on Isaiah 28, verse 16. He again uses the Septuagint translation. We can see that from the cornerstone, which again is the Greek noun, acrogonieon, which we have from Isaiah 28 in the Septuagint. He interprets Jesus very specifically as a living stone. And he says that this is all contained in Scripture, that God is going to lay in Zion the choice stone, the precious corner stone. Peter again interprets Jesus, the Son of God, as the stone, seeing the stone as a legitimate pun and double entendre for the Son, the Son of God. So what's interesting here is that we have three Christian authors, three New Testament authors, that offer a very similar understanding of the way to interpret the stone imagery in terms of the Son, the Son of God, which is the Messianic royal king. We see that in Targum Jonathan, and the New Testament interpreters seem to be in line with this manner of reading the imagery from Isaiah 28, verse 16. In doing so, they regard the stone as one who is distinguished from Yahweh. The stone, who is the Son, is not God himself. He is the Son of God. He is someone who is distinguished from God. And even in some of the later rabbinical readings of this text, which chose to not interpret this in terms of messianism, they chose to interpret it in terms of the temple, the actual temple stone under which the most sacred parts of the temple were to be placed. Likely they are interpreting it in that way as a way to uh, not favor early Christian interpretations of this messianic interpretations with which they of course would disagree. But there you have it. That is how Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16 was understood by early Jews and early Christians by taking stone imagery and using it to refer to the Son of God based on Hebrew puns and double entendre. And that, of course, was carried forward into the Greek writings of the Septuagint and the New Testament. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we begin looking through the four suffering servant songs in Isaiah starting with the first one in chapter 42. Please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound, important, and non-negotiable truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. You can support us for absolutely free by subscribing, by giving us an honest review, and sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to offer a donation to the podcast, please check out the episode's description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith. Until next time, please take care.